You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Well, today we're going to talk, we're going to attempt the possible. We're going to talk about politics and faith in the same, at the same time. So, get ready, pick up your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, the back of your seat there's one. If you don't own one, take that one as our gift to you. That's page 215 in the, the church Bible. It's election day tomorrow, in case any of you didn't know. Hope you're ready to vote. Maybe some of you already have. If you have, that's great. If you haven't, make sure you do tomorrow. Because guess what? The Bible, people think it's, some people think, a lot of people in our culture think it's a dead book with nothing relevant to say um, in our 2021 day and age, but it's got so much to say, right? About money management, about marriage, about family, about uh, war, about conflict resolution, and it even talks about politics. And I've found here, I remember reading this a couple of years ago, and I'd read it before, but I was like, hey, this has a lot to do with us here now in our democratic nation. And we all have free will, so I'm not going to try and tell you to vote for anyone, because uh, that would be wrong, or try and wave a, a party flag. Again, this, that is not my place. But what I can do is point out some things that God has to say about uh, the leaders that we choose, uh, some warnings and some encouragements. And that's what we're going to look at here, because we have a privilege. We have a privilege as Canadians, as North Americans, we're like, there's, there's less than 20% of the world that gets to choose the people uh, who are in charge of them. And if you take into account countries like Russia or Venezuela, which have elections, but we know they're not really elections, it's much, much less. And so you have a privilege, you have a gift, uh, and somebody died for it. Somebody died to give it to you. Right, Just as salvation is a free gift from uh, Christ that he gave up himself, God sent his son into the world to give himself for us so that we could be reconciled with him, means made right, um, and not have to go to hell uh, because of our sins, but be enter into heaven, the perfect place without any sin. Now, that's a gift that somebody died for uh, to give you. But guess what? Men and women died so that you could be live in freedom and choose who your leader is, and that's a great honor, and so we're going to talk about that today. So let's pray, um, because I am a simple man. Lord, it's a great privilege to speak on your behalf, or to open up what you have already said and talk about it, and Lord, uh, you know, I tend to mess things up, help me not to, help me to um, just point out what your people did, um, in the past so that we can learn, so that we as your people now can make good, informed, uh, godly decisions. Open our hearts, help us to put away um, our habits and the things that we like to do, to do what is right. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So the job of an elected leader in our free countries in the West is to uh, provide, uh, to serve the citizens and to provide for them uh, a protection, basic uh, infrastructure, roads, uh, schools, those sorts of things to uh, protect them from uh, foreign and domestic threats that would look to harm them, uh, to really uh, provide a life, uh, not to take care of the people, but to provide an environment where people can uh, have a job, raise a family, and and live life uh, in freedom and relative peace. Uh, But that's not uh, the main, that's not what a lot of people think nowadays. You may have heard the word public servant. That is what the the people are supposed to be, um, our elected officials. They serve the public, that is you and I. Uh, But a a lot of politicians in our day and and from the past think that uh, the public actually exists to serve them, to provide them with power, uh, with position, and with uh, big fat pensions uh, that they can live off of uh, until uh, they want to. But that's really not the point of it. The best kind of leaders are the ones that don't want it but do it because it's the right thing to do, because they want to serve the people, because they genuinely want to do what's right and see their nation doing well. And so the context of Judges chapter 9, if you were to read back a little ways, um, is that Gideon was the leader. Uh, Gideon um, was a judge raised up by God um, in chapters 7 and 8 to free the people from the Midianites. Um, And then he did. Um, but then he got a little carried away, and his family did, with wealth and power and so on and so forth. And he had many wives. How many wives? Don't know how many wives, but he had way too many wives. Because husbands, what's the, the proper amount of wives we should have? One wife, right? That's all we could ever want and ever need. And whenever we see in the Bible... Pretty much every instance where a guy has multiple wives, it goes really bad for him. It goes really bad for the family. And so uh, Gideon did not follow God's design plan because we talked about that a lot last week. God's design plan is one man, one woman. He had many wives and therefore he had many kids. He had 70 uh, sons and he also had concubines. Concubines were um, people, women that... um, were for more pleasure. They didn't have the position that a married wife had, um, but they would kind of like a girlfriend, I guess you could say. In the Roman culture, women, um, rich, wealthy women, actually had male concubines as well. And it's still, unfortunately, um, something that is very alive in our world. And uh, it is definitely not God's plan. And so Gideon has his 70 sons, and one of his concubines has a wife, or um, has a baby uh, named Abimelech. And Abimelech uh, probably had a hard life. He probably um, was looked down upon by his half-brothers and sisters. Uh, He was probably kind of like the outcast. And he probably grew up with the father wound, right? And and that's a wound I see in a lot of uh, men and women nowadays when their fathers are distant and not uh, connected and they don't encourage them and they don't um, guide them and they don't love them. Uh, They grew up as this young man probably did with a wound. And so now there is a, after Gideon dies, there is a void. There is a power vacuum. Nobody to lead. Gideon obviously forgot to set up a a clear uh, plan for who was going to lead after he was gone. Important for us to think about when we're gone. Uh, What is going to happen with our affairs? Uh, Are we going to put things in order? Are we going to make things easy? Because I have seen lots of families self-destruct 
when the person dies, and then it's a fight about the stuff. And so we pick it up in verse 1. Because what's going to happen here is unique. They're going to appoint their leader. And that hardly ever happens um, in ancient Israel. Verse 1. Abimelech, uh, son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem and spoke to his uncles and his mother's whole clan, saying, Please, speak in the hearing of all the citizens of Shechem. Is it better for you that 70... That 70 men, all the sons of Jeroboam, rule over you, and that one, or that one man rule over you. Comes with a proposition. And I'm going to give you seven things to think about before you vote tomorrow, if you haven't already, or in any future um, elections. Seven principles that we learn from this uh, text on uh, how to vote with a biblical mindset, i.e. the sermon title, Think Before You Vote. Uh, notice Abimelech has no position already. He has no power, but he's obviously got ambition. Uh, and, and he sees an opening and he makes a move. Uh, he goes to his hometown, his family, right, where he's probably going to have the most support, and he makes them a proposition or an offer. Uh, if you let put me into power... Instead of those 70 sons, if you put me into power, uh, things are going to go easy for you because I'm family, right? I'm family. And so if you put me into power, things will go easy for you. Uh, But he has got no experience, right? He's got no track record. We know nothing about his life. It says nothing positive about his life. He doesn't come and say, you know, I'm going to, I have this much experience and I'm going to put my own money into this. No, he, he comes and says, just put me into power. Put me into power. And, and the first principle is don't take those who desire power at face value. Don't take just because somebody says, I want to be in charge. I want to run the, the district or the province or the country. Don't take them at face value. Just as they took Abimelech at face value and it didn't work out well for them. If you read to the end of the chapter, which I'll encourage you to do after this uh, service, they take him at his word. And, and really, he's done nothing with his life. He's probably in his 30s, uh, they would think, and yet he has nothing really to show for his life. And, and sometimes the same kind of people are drawn to politics in our culture, in our uh, time. It's sometimes a place where people that aren't really good at much else go to because they want to get the golden ticket, right? Vote for me, and I'll make it easy for you. Right? The golden ticket, what do I mean by that? Well, just look at it. A federal MP, um, a basic federal MP, so um, if, if we elected Gary uh, as our federal MP, Gary's minimum, his starting wage would be $178,900 uh, to start. Uh, they gave themselves a raise, the MPs, in April of 2020 uh, just because they felt they needed one because they work so hard. And they work hard, uh, but no harder than a lot of you do. All expenses are paid. Those in cabinet positions make up in the 200,000s, mid 200,000s, and the prime minister makes 357,000. After six years of service, so two and a half terms, or one and a half terms, you get a pension for life. Um, Somebody who serves two terms uh, will get the average pension of $50,000 a year for the rest of their life. That's just under what the average Canadian family makes a year. Those who serve uh, 
three or four terms can expect to make over $100,000 a year pension for the rest of their life. So what do I mean by the golden ticket? I mean, a lot of people go into politics because there's a lot of money to be made in it. And so uh, we can't always take people at their face value that their uh, intentions are good. We have to do a little digging, right? And the people don't do any digging with Abimelech. We need to investigate their track records, right? You should know a little bit of the track record of the person that you are going to vote for. God would want you to. Or as, just as well, you should know um, before you choose a pastor or before you choose somebody that's going to have power and influence over you and your money and your children and your grandchildren's future, you should investigate uh, how do they vote on important issues Uh, do they have a backbone are they just somebody that kind of sways back and forth with whatever culture or the loudest voice says do they have a if they're married do they have a healthy family life Um, if if not do they conduct themselves in a manner that you would want them representing your country You need to evaluate their experiences as well. So look at their track record, evaluate their experiences. What have they done with their life? The majority of our our federal politicians used to be bankers, lawyers, um, or politicians at lower levels. And you have to determine, is that the right people to run the country um, or not? You have to determine, does this person have any idea what it's like to live as a regular person like me? Do they understand the regular challenges that I go through? Do they understand what it's going to be like to retire at a person who makes what I make? Like You need to look at their experience because that's important. You need to examine their their character, i.e. their integrity. What this country needs is men and women of integrity leading them. Men and women who consistently desire to do what's right both personally and professionally uh, throughout their lives. Now we're not looking for perfect people because those don't exist and we're not talking about somebody when they're 16 they tweeted out something that was dumb uh, right as we now like to you know disqualify 50 year olds because they said something dumb when they were a teenager. I'm talking about people who in their adult life showed a desire to do what's good. So don't take people at at face value. Dig. Then look at verse 2. He comes with the second reason why. Remember that I am your flesh and blood, i.e. I'm your family, i.e. I am familiar. Right? And and point number two is don't vote for somebody or a party just because it's familiar. Just because your your father voted this way and your grandfather voted this way and you've always voted this way, it doesn't mean that's the way you should necessarily vote. Uh, That's his big reason, because I'm family. But that is going to cost them dearly. And and sometimes we can vote blindly. We can say, I've always voted this way and I'm always going to vote this way. But did you know that parties sway? They go left or left. They go right. They go center. Right, often they follow their leader. And, and I, I just wrote down, and all the main points are in your bulletins, that parties are like denominations. Uh, they are purified or corrupted by their leaders. Right? Denominations usually start out pretty good. They start out on fire, uh, passionate for the Lord in Christ, but false leaders often come in and corrupt them and pollute them over time, and they are no longer what they used to be. It's the same sometimes with uh, political parties you might have heard the term political hack before 
Maybe I've used that once or twice. A political hack simply is a politician who belongs to a small little clique uh, in the party that controls that political party for private interests rather than for public ends. And there are people that do that. That's kind of like, I kind of look at like the Pharisees and the Sadducees as political hacks, right? You, you look at the way Jesus responded to these people. Who did Jesus like make his invitation open to anyone, right? And he, you see him talking to rich people, you see him talking to poor people, prostitutes, tax collectors, soldiers, uh, even, even politicians, right? But there was a one group that he seemed to really rub with, and they didn't like him either. And it was the political leaders, because that's what the Pharisees and Sadducees were. They were both religious and political uh, leaders, and they wanted to protect their little party, right? And, and so when Jesus came along saying, actually, uh, God, God, the most important thing is to love God with all your heart and mind and soul and to love the people as yourself. And he comes along and says that and he, and, and, and he says, anyone is welcome. And they're like, whoa, whoa, this is getting in the way of our power. And so we can't have you uh, getting in the way of our power. So don't give blind allegiance to a party. Jesus called them blind guides a number of times in Matthew 23, meaning they had no idea what they were doing, yet they were leading other people. He says they love the places of honor at banquets, the chief seats in the synagogues, the greetings in the marketplaces, and they love the title, right? They were, all intents and purposes, political hacks. And so we don't want to have blind allegiance to a party. And I really like the way uh, that The Chosen, season two, kind of showed that, that ambition of the Pharisees to bring Jesus down. And, and, and so we have to understand there are some people in political parties whose intention is to protect the organization, the money, right? The, all the, the millions of dollars flowing through it. Look at verse three. His mother's relatives spoke all these words to him in the hearing of all the citizens of Shechem. And they were favorable to Abimelech, for they said, he is our brothers. Notice that word, they were favorable towards him. Why? Because they knew he would be, or thought he would be favorable towards them. Point number three, don't put somebody into power just because you think you're going to get something good out of it i.e don't listen to the people who say i'm gonna give you this much if you vote for me right this much free stuff imagine imagine i i started using that ploy with people i was like come to calvary where we're gonna give you free money I actually know some churches that have probably done that, um, or have read of some in the past, actually. But imagine I started doing that, right? Just to fill seats, right? Right? Like, like, hey, hey, you ladies, if you'll come to Calvary, we're going to give you money. And and then I and I reach in my pocket, and I don't have any money. You, young ladies, young ladies, I need some money. Can I have some money? Give me some money. Give me some money, ladies. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Um, this is good, but I'll be back for more. Okay, ladies, here you, here you are. Ladies, here you are. Here's my vote. There you go. We forget what politicians do. They make promises with money that isn't theirs, which has to be paid back by you, right? And so we can't think, oh, they're so generous. 
Oh, look at that fine, fine man. He so wants to give us, uh, us money. Well, where's it coming from? It's coming from somewhere. I will need that back. I took that out of my wife's purse this morning, and she's going to want that back. So, sorry, Eileen. <clears throat> There's a, an excellent book um, uh, by a, a famous historian from the uh, 5th century BC uh, named uh, Thucydides, and he wrote this book called The Peloponnesian Wars. I have uh, my copy if you want to borrow it and read it. It is a, a, a recording of the first democracy, like we're talking a large-scale democracy, 400 years before Christ, and the wars, he accounts um, and, and writes a history of the war between Sparta and Athens because Greece wasn't a unified nation at the time. And so uh, Athens was a democracy and Sparta uh, had a king, had two kings actually. And he records, that's why he's called the, the, father, of the, uh, the father of modern historians, uh, the, the collapse of Athens. And he, he really equates the collapse of Athens uh, to demagogues. He kind of used that word a lot. A demagogue is a political leader uh, who seeks support by appealing to popular passions and prejudices. So they became politicians in Greece. Um, they were originally set up to be people uh, by the people, for the people, but eventually they became like these master uh, minds of, of tricking people into giving them power so they could make their means uh, come true. And it eventually led to the collapse of Athens as a democracy, um, and they got beat by Sparta. And so it's an interesting read, because history tends to repeat itself, right? If we put people in charge uh, who just make promises and don't really have intent on following them through and, and take from others to give to others and, and, and write and, and keep for themselves and they really have no integrity, then we might end up like Athens. Verse 4, look at your text. So they gave him 70 pieces of silver from the temple of Baal-Bethram, uh, Abimelech used it to hire worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. Point number four, bad leaders tend to surround themselves with people like themselves. Bad leaders like people like them around them. And that is what he did. First of all, notice that they gave him money from a temple dedicated to Baal, which is Satan. So the people of Israel already showed, after Gideon died, if you read chapter 8, it says they prostituted themselves to um, foreign gods. So much like our nation has shifted hardcore away from anything uh, Judeo-Christian into anything uh, but that, so had these people. And so now they take money uh, used for Satan and they give it to him. And what does he do? He hires worthless and reckless men. That means these were good-for-nothing men who were all about themselves. And, and sometimes we find political leaders who do this. They just want to surround themselves with people who will allow them to ethically get, ever, get away with whatever they want, right? And Abimelech knew that they would. And this is the easiest way to lead, Sometimes you see pastors do it, right? They just, they don't want to hear any opposing views. They don't want to hear what other people are feeling. I just want my inner circle who will tell me how good I am and what a great job I'm doing, even if I am in the wrong. And I think that's sometimes why pastors go down roads that they should never go down 
and then end up imploding the church. Why do we want people around us who have, give opposing views? Because in a democracy, or, or, or who respect people and who will put people in, um, around them who give opposing views, because a democracy only works if a group of people come together and say, you know what, I realize I'm never going to get all I want, and I realize I'm never going to get all I want, so we're going we're gonna to find a compromise to live in peace. And that means that, that the leader who makes the ultimate decisions needs to have a selection of people who will give input into them from opposing views, right? I think this is one of the reasons we have such a divisive uh, society nowadays is because it's us versus them. And so we need people who... If they're, say, let's just imagine that they were going to uh, use their power to try and influence a decision, um, we need people who are going to say, you know what, actually you're overstepping your boundary and you really shouldn't do that um, and you're really not allowed to do that. Um, and we need a leader who would say, actually you're right, you're right, I shouldn't do that. And we need leaders who, who, who are like, people can say, actually there's a conflict of interest here and, and you really shouldn't be making this decision and the leaders say, yeah, you're right. Right, and what sometimes happens is if those leaders get questioned, uh, people without integrity, they're just like, oh, you're out of here, you're finished, you're demoted, get out of here, right? And we as citizens, when we see that happen, we need to stand up for those people uh, who are trying to walk in integrity. So where are people's money from? Like, look at leaders and say, where are they getting all their donations from? You know, is it from the average person or is it from big businesses, you know, because because lobbyists and all of that stuff. Uh, and, and who did these people work for before? You know, is there some interest there that we might need to examine as a people? You need to do this research. You need to be an informed citizen. Abraham Lincoln is, I think, one of the greatest leaders uh, of the U.S. Um, and, and dem- democratic leaders of all time. And one of Lincoln's, um, I re- read a book, Leadership, uh, Lincoln on Leadership. And one of his great traits was that he wanted to hear from the people on the other side of the aisle from him. He would invite one of his rivals uh, when he was uh, in Congress, was a man, or sorry, was in the presidency, was a man named Thaddeus Stevens. And Thaddeus was on the other side of the aisle. But Lincoln so desired to have a unified country because he knew that the Civil War had the ability to split the country forever that he would invite Thaddeus in on his cabinet meetings and say, what do you think? And he would honestly take in what Thaddeus had to say. And, and that's the kind of leadership we want in play. Number five, or sorry, verse five. He went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his 70 brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, on top of a large stone. But Jotham the youngest son of Jeroboam, survived because he hid. Then all the citizens of Shechem and of Beth Milo gathered around and proceeded to make Abimelech king at the oak on the pillar in Shechem. They made him king. They voted him in. They encouraged him. And point number five is that if we vote for a known corrupt person, that's why you've got to look at their track record, look at their experience, look at their character, If we vote for somebody that is a known corrupt person, we, by vote, are approving of their behavior. And when somebody gets away and sees that, oh, I can get away with it, not only get away with it, but profit from it, 
what do people tend to do? More of it. And so that's what they did, right? He went and murdered his sons. He didn't tell them he was going to do that. He went and did it. He got his tainted cash, hired some worthless men's men, went and committed murder. And they respond, great, you're our king now. And sometimes we can look at a person's decisions and say, well, well, it's not that big of a deal. But I can get some free stuff. I'm going to get the person to give me what I want or they're going to do things the way I want to. And what's interesting about this, to understand the context, uh, because it's really important, is Shechem, this oak tree, was the exact place 150 years before this point in the story. 150 years before, Joshua stood with all the Israelites and they read out uh, the commands and the laws of Moses, God's laws, and they reaffirmed. I'll read it for you. Joshua 24, verses 25 to 26. On the day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them the decrees and the laws. And Joseph recorded these things in the book of the law of God. And then he took a large stone and set it up under an oak tree, an oak near the holy place of the Lord. So picture the scene. He comes back from murdering not only the, the sons, but their families. And there is the oak that 150 years before there is a large rock as a symbol. The Jews love to use symbols and we use symbols in our society. And the symbols are reminders. So they were to see it, this large stone, and remember God's laws. And remember that there is an ultimate God who has an ultimate set of moral uh, truths and that he will hold people accountable personally collectively as a church and as a nation. And it's just ironic that there they are at the exact same place and a man has, they're appointing a man as king who has done the exact opposite as God had instructed them to do. And you know, we have these symbols. If we can get a picture up, please. When a, a leader is sworn in, okay, the prime minister, when they are sworn in, they take three oaths. They make three oaths. And at the end of each oath, they say, so help me God. Okay, the, the founders of our system, our parliaments and our laws specifically put that in. They, make the, they say the, the oath, so help me God. And you see, see that right there? There's a book in Stephen Harper's hand. That's him being sworn in. Go to the next one, please. And there's our current leader. And do you see the book that his hand is on while he's making the oath? That is the Bible. That is the Bible, God's word. Why did we put that in there? Why did the people who wrote how somebody will take office have them put their hand on a Bible? As a symbol, as a reminder that there is a God who has made laws that govern all men and women and even leaders and that God will hold that leader accountable for the decisions that they make. Sometimes, you know, we can vote for somebody um, and their true character can be, can come up after a while. And, and when it comes out, if it stinks, we need to get rid of them. That's the power we have as, as people in democracy. We don't just have coups, 
right? We don't just overthrow, we vote people out. That is the gift that we have been given. Uh, But if we vote knowingly um, for somebody who unapologetically, and there are lots of them, breaks the law, then we are approving of their behavior. Verse 7. When they told Jotham, he climbed on the top of Mount Gerizim, raised his voice, and called to them. Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, and may God listen to you. The trees decided to anoint a king over themselves. They said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I stop giving my oil that people use to honor both men and God and rule over these trees? Then the trees said to the fig trees, come and reign over us. But the fig trees said to them, should I stop giving my sweetness and my good fruit and rule over the trees? Later the trees said to the grapevine, come and reign over us. And the grapevine said to them, should I stop giving the, my wine and that cheers both men and God and rule over the trees? Finally, all the trees said to the bramble, which is a thorn bush, reign over us. The bramble said to the trees, if you're really anointing me as your king, come and find refuge in my shade. Point number six, good people need to run for elected offices and we need to support them. When I say good, we desire Christians to run and Christians should run and we need more Christians to run. But even people of integrity that aren't Christians, we need men and women to run. And and we need to support them when they run, even if they're going to make hard decisions because the best decision isn't always the easiest decision. And so Jotham gets up and he says this parable. There's a point to his parable. There's a point to what he's yelling. He's not just yelling out some random story. Uh, He's essentially saying, listen, all the worthy trees right, the trees that produced good things, the, the trees that benefited humanity, they were too busy doing their own thing. And so because they were too busy doing their own thing, the only kind of people that were left was a thorn bush, right? And, and the bramble says in his story, take shelter in my shade. And, and and, and it's meant to be ironic and ridiculous that giant cedars would look to take shade under a bramble, right? Because it can't. It's down low, it's tangly, a cedar is high, and it's strong. He's making a point that this person you've put in charge can and will do nothing to benefit you because you are actually a stronger and more intelligent and, and more ethical person than they are. And so Gideon's sons, we see in chapter 8, verse 25 to 27, were too busy chasing after wealth. It says it became a stumbling block to them. They got rich, right? And so the rightful people that should have taken, uh, taken power, some one of them, uh, were too busy chasing after stuff. Because we don't know the period in which there was between when Gideon died and when Abimelech made his move. We need people like Paul talks about. Or we need to be warned, sorry, as Christians, what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge them into ruin and destruction. 
And the sad thing about Gideon's family is they were so busy with their wealth that they allowed this to happen, which brought great destruction, not only to them and their own families, but to their nation. We need people like Job to run in politics. Uh, Satan, uh, God said to Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man on all of earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. We need men and women who hopefully fear God, um, or at least even, like there are some people who in the past led our country and, and they may have not been saved and had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but they had a fear of a God, fear of God, the God of the Bible. Like in their minds, they knew this God of the Bible, which maybe they didn't serve, was all business. But we need men and women who will stay away from evil. Who, Like you can see it in their life. They're like, ah, their desire is not to, to meddle around with evil things. That's the kind of people we need. And when they run, ladies and gentlemen, we need to support them. We need to give them their vote, even if it means they're not going to win. Whoa, that's throwing away my vote, isn't it? Well, not necessarily. If we always approve and give positions of leadership to people who are unworthy, what can we expect all of our lives? The same kind of person. But when we as the people say enough, is enough, then the politicians will start to notice and see, ah, they don't want just a certain kind of person. They want something else. And here's a really practical way that you can actually make a difference. You can join a party. You could join a couple parties. If there's a couple parties and you're like, I may go this way, I may vote this way, you could join both those parties and then you get to vote on who the leader is. And if enough people vote for the right leader, then you have that leader running. Right, And I think as more and more as our society comes apart at the hinges as it is, there will, and people's eyes are opened up to the realities of where we've taken our country, there will be a greater desire to look back and go back to where some of the places we came from. Last thing, look at verse 15. But if not, may fire come out from the bramble and consume the cedars. So the bramble said this, uh, and this gives us a warning. Verse 7, watch out for people who leave no room to disagree. Right? The bramble said, come, find shade under me. If you really want me to be king, come, find shade under me, or else may a fire come out and consume you. And we as Christians are, are supposed to live at peace um, with everyone to the best of our ability. Sometimes we have to stand firm. Sometimes we have to uh, stand against things. But to the best of our abilities, we are to in peace with people that don't have the same beliefs and faith as we do. And that's not always easy. It's much easier to just lash out. It's much easier to say, fine, you don't agree with me? You're my enemy. And we can see that in our society today. Oh, those stupid people that voted this way. They're so dumb. Those people, oh man, just round them all up and throw them into the sea. These are the things that I hear from both sides the irony of what he's saying is that uh, bramble and we know if you've ever had a 
thorn bush in your backyard. Certain kinds of thorns, they just overtake everything, right? They slowly snake their way over the years underground, and then they're all over the backyard. And what's a farmer's, one of his greatest hassles in, in the old days? Thorn bushes, right? I remember the next door neighbors had a big garden, and they had a thorn bush, uh, a rose thorn bush that actually went underneath, I think it was roses, but it was prickly. It went underneath the ground about five feet and then came up in my mother's garden. And no matter how hard I would chop it all away, I'd dig down, I couldn't get rid of it. And it's still there like a decade later. And so we have to watch because eventually you put enough bad people in charge and they will take down an entire nation. And the bramble uh, warns that it's going to rule oppressively. And there are some people that you can see it in their character. There is no room to disagree. You become the enemy. And a test of character is to see how a person treats another person who does not agree with them. We want to look for leaders who, even if the opposing side is yelling slanderous things at them, won't lower themselves to that level. The cedars were mighty But eventually, the bramble overtook them. And eventually, we see in this story that because of their decision, he not only turns Abimelech on the people of Shechem and brings civil war to them, but then he turns on other parts of the nation. And so, what do we do here now in 2021 in a time when it seems like our country is very divided? Well, we may have lost some of the freedoms that we once had, but we still have the freedom of the vote. Your vote still matters. And you should really pray about it and take time and research and understand what it is that you're doing and the significance of what you're doing. How it will affect your children and your grandchildren, right? We're such a me society. Think about the decisions and how they will affect the generations to come. And some people have asked, is it too late for our nation? Have we reached a point of no return? Have we crossed the line in the sand that a nation can never go back? Have we come to the place where the prophet of old would say, God has numbered our kingdom and put an end to it? He has weighed us in the scales and been found wanting? I don't know if we're at that point. Maybe we are, or maybe we're not. But we do have a God who is above humans. Uh, A God who the Bible says changes times and seasons and disposes kings and raises them up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. That's the God we serve. The God who says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land. And so we need to look to our king as our ultimate hope and never put our hope in a man But also, ask the Lord to direct us and ask the Lord to send men and women who will lead our nation into a better and brighter future. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite Don to come up and lead us. Lord, thank you for the freedom that we have. It is a gift and I know that not many people have it in the world. So thank you for it. Lord, would you give us a biblical mind that looks, how can I live in a country, who can I vote for uh, that will provide an opportunity for me to to build your kingdom? Who can I uh, vote in that will honor uh, your word, that won't turn against all the things that you say are good and holy, 
Lord, we need your guidance. We can admit the candidates, all of our candidates, they all fall uh, short of the kind of people we would love to see in power. But we pray you would give us wisdom and then you'd help us honor those people even when they frustrate us and anger us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.